Welcome to Interesting Times. I'm Joe Streckert. Like most Americans, Canada was the first foreign land that I ever went to. I was in my mid-twenties, and I had never left a country before, and I didn't really know what to expect when I got to the border. Some Canadian border folks talked to me about my intentions in Vancouver, and uh, they let me on my way. On my return, the American border officers searched my car, which I still feel weird about, by the way, given the Fourth Amendment and all. And then I was back on Interstate 5, driving through the deep green stretch of trees and rain that is the Pacific Northwest. And during my trip, other than that little blip at the border when I had to deal with cantankerous people in uniforms, it didn't really feel like I was in a foreign land at all. I remember thinking that it was sort of silly that the border was there at all. Uh, Vancouver, it didn't feel like a different country. It felt like the Pacific Northwest. It felt like Portland or Seattle or Eugene or Olympia or other places in this region that I'm fairly accustomed to. The border between the U.S. and Canada has always been something that exists more as something that we declare than as a thing of nature. Uh, After all, the North American continent just keeps going on and on, and there's no real mountain range or large body of water that acts as a natural divider between the United States and our neighbors to the north. The border is just kind of there because we say it is. Nowadays, that border is one of the more peaceful dividing lines in the world, but it was not always so. In 1859, the border between American territory and what was then British North America it almost exploded into war. A war started by a pig. In 1846, the United States and the United Kingdom signed the Oregon Treaty, sorting out where the border was going to be between the American part of North America and the British part of North America in the Pacific Northwest. And for the most part, the border was pretty straightforward. The 49th parallel would separate the U.S. from the U.K., and that was pretty easy to figure out for everyone involved. But once you hit the West Coast, there was a small amount of ambiguity, namely the San Juan Islands up in what is now Washington State and British Columbia. And how they sorted out how to divide the islands was not the best. And here's how Article One of the Oregon Treaty described what the border was going to look like. Quote, From the point of the 49th parallel of north latitude where the boundary laid down in existing treaties and conventions between the United States and Great Britain terminates, the line of boundary between the territories of the United States and those of Her Britannic Majesty shall be continued westward along said 49th parallel of north latitude to the middle of the channel which separates the continent from Vancouver's island and then southerly through the middle of the said channel and of Fuca's Straits to the Pacific Ocean, provided, however, that the navigation of the whole of said channel and straits, south of the 49th parallel of north latitude, remain free and open to both parties. Unquote. If any of that sounded ambiguous or inexact to you, well, you'd be right. If you look at a map of the San Juan Islands, it's not entirely clear where the mill of the strait is, and southerly is a confusing word, as the treaty doesn't really make it clear what is southerly of what. So the result of this poorly drafted piece of diplomatic language was that both the U.S. and 
Her Britannic Majesty, assumed that they got San Juan Island itself, uh, the biggest chunk of those islands, the eponymous chunk of those islands. And both the U.S. and U.K. started settling San Juan, with Britain stationing the Hudson's Bay Company on the island. Meanwhile, several hardy American frontiers people believed it to be unambiguously part of the U.S., and they claimed land on the island thanks to the Donation Land Act. The Brits and the Yanks lived alongside each other, albeit tensely, until June of 1859. In June of 1859, Lyman Cutler, he found a pig in his garden. This was not the first time this had happened. He had found pigs in his garden before. This pig was eating his potatoes, as other pigs had done before, and he was sick of it. He was sick of these British pigs eating his American potatoes, and so Lyman Cutler, like any good American frontiers person, got out his gun and he shot the offending animal. The pig, it was owned by an Irish settler who was on San Juan as part of the British colony. He was a guy called Charles Griffin, and he just let his pigs wander around and root up stuff as they are wont to do. And he was a bit upset that one of his swine had just been shot by one of these Yankees who didn't really even have the right to be there. So Cutler, the American, he first offered Griffin, the Irishman, uh, ten bucks for the dead pig. Uh, Griffin, though, didn't want that. He threw the offer back in Cutler's face and said, no, for that pig, that'll be a hundred dollars. In what's probably an apocryphal story, this ascended into an argument between the two men, and Cutler shouted that the pig was, quote, eating my potatoes, unquote, and Griffin, the Irishman, supposedly replied, quote, it is up to you to keep your potatoes out of my pig, unquote. And from there, a dispute between two cantankerous neighbors spiraled into what could have been an international incident, what could have become a full-on war between the U.S. and Britain in the Pacific Northwest. The British authorities, they started making some noise about arresting Cutler, and the exertion of power over an American citizen by British authorities, that was just too much for the various hardy American frontiers people on San Juan. Suddenly, the country that their parents and grandparents had, you know, had a revolution with, suddenly that country, Great Britain, uh, is threatening to incarcerate one of their own. So the commander of the American military presence in Oregon, he sent Captain George Pickett, and it's, yes, that George Pickett, the one who would later lead Pickett's charge at Gettysburg, uh, to the San Juans to check in on the settlers. And Pickett was supposed to go there to see how things were going, ask them if they needed anything, that sort of thing. And when he got there, Pickett declared the whole of the island to be under American sovereignty. He said that no way, no how is an American going to get arrested by those filthy Brits. And supposedly, Pickett said that the British, if they tried to start anything about it, that he would make a bunker hill out of it. And that little rejoinder sounds a bit too pithy to be authentic, but I kind of want him to have actually said that. Meanwhile, the British governor of Vancouver Island, he is not taking kindly to this assertion of American military dominance over this patch of territory. So he sends the HMS satellite to San Juan. And by the way, British ship names, it should be noted, way, way better and way consistently cooler than American ship names. Calling a boat the satellite, 
That sounds way more awesome than calling a carrier the Ronald Reagan or whatever. Seriously, why can't we name ships things like Battleaxe or Griffin or Unicorn or something like that? Anyway, this ship, the satellite, it was soon followed by two other vessels, and there are now British warships pointing guns at the island. Um, Pickett, for his part, he's also escalating things, and he amasses about 420-some men and a fair amount of artillery, and these two sides are ready for battle and awaiting orders from their superiors. Now, if there's a hero to this story, it's the British admiral who was in charge of those various warships that had been dispatched to San Juan. Rear Admiral Robert L. Baines, he is part of this situation, and it seems that he realizes that it's all kind of absurd. He received orders from the governor of Vancouver Island to land marines on San Juan and engage the Americans. And when the rear admiral got these orders... He ignored them. There are a lot of unconfirmed quotes in this story, but supposedly Rear Admiral Bain said that it would be silly and that he would not involve, quote, two great nations in a war over a squabble about a pig, unquote. So, because he explicitly disobeyed his superiors and did not land his marines on the island and did not engage Pickett, the U.S. and Britain probably avoided another war. So, Bain's... He doesn't land his marines, he doesn't fire his guns, he doesn't start attacking the island, and Pickett, despite his bluster, despite his talk of making a bunker hill out of it, he also doesn't fire a shot. This could have very well been because Pickett was outnumbered, and he knew that if he started something, it would almost certainly lead to American defeat. But what happens is that the British and the American military men, they spend a whole lot of time yelling at each other, pointing guns at each other, and insulting each other on San Juan, but it never actually got violent, thankfully. And when Washington and London heard that their various underlings were way out in the Pacific Northwest backwaters, pointing weaponry in each other's general direction, uh, they were not pleased. So both sides, they ended up dispatching diplomats to the U.S.-Canada border, and the situation was eventually diffused. Uh, President James Buchanan was especially relieved by this because he had a good inkling that things were getting bad at home. The Civil War was just on the horizon, and with all of the domestic disputes that America was going through at the moment, a war with Britain would not have done them any good. So there was no real engagement, no shots, no casualties, except for the pig, of course. And at the end of it all, San Juan Island went back to its kind of disputed state. Uh, Even after the pig war, as this incident was called, uh, things on San Juan were still pretty ambiguous. And the British and the American settlers, they lived together without any livestock-based incidents until 1871. In 1871, the Dominion of Canada was officially formed, and a lot of the U.S.'s agreements with its more northern, Britishy, Frenchy part of the continent, those would have to be updated. And, by the way, the story of Canada's slow separation from the British Empire, that's a fascinating one, but that's a story for a different time. It was during this round of treaty updates and such that the ambiguous international boundary that had led to the Porcine conflict, it was finally solved. The U.S. and Canada, instead of, you know, flipping a coin or playing rock, paper, scissors over San Juan Island, they sent the small border dispute 
to the German Kaiser for arbitration. Because when you think of peaceful solutions to border problems, we all think of Germany. And the German Kaiser, after delving into the details and history and the concerns and all that over the region, he called San Juan for the U.S. of A. The U.S. and U.K. never fought a border war, fortunately, and nowadays the two countries, they have the longest undefended border on the face of the earth. Canada, it's the world's second largest country by area, and the U.S. is number four. And in a different time period, that gigantic border adjacent to those huge tracts of land would have caused tensions, but it doesn't. Um, Despite annoyances like my car getting searched by the American Border Patrol as I was driving home, which I'm still annoyed about, uh, we should think of that border as a kind of achievement and monument. Previously, neighboring countries would not nearly be so friendly. There are still a few irregularities, though. Despite the German Kaiser handing San Juan over to the U.S., a few bits of the U.S.-Canada border get slightly wibbly-wobbly. For example, Machias Seal Island, it's just off the coast of Maine and New Brunswick, and it's claimed by both Canada and the U.S. There is a Canadian lighthouse on the island and some puffins. Uh, The two countries, they also have a few disagreements about waterways and such, but nothing that's going to spark an international incident, pigs or otherwise. And nowadays, the existence of that international border, at least from my perspective as a person who lives in the Pacific Northwest, also seems frankly weird. Um, I've only been to Vancouver the one time, but like I said at the beginning of this show, it did not seem fundamentally dissimilar to the rest of the Pacific Northwest. I'm not the only person who's mentioned this. Plenty of folks like to talk about Cascadia as a region that encompasses the western parts of Oregon, Washington, and British Columbia, a region defined by geography and culture more so than the lines on a map. And the idea of a Cascadia is not something that is legislated or mandated, but it is something, I think, that is felt by a lot of people who live in this part of the world, that you can go from, you know, Eugene up to Portland, up through Olympia, up to Seattle, up to Vancouver, B.C., and you seem to be still living in the same region, the same area. And in that context, the arbitrary nature of the border seems at once more sensical and also more absurd. Though not as absurd as going to war over a pig. That would be ridiculous. Interesting Times is recorded at the studios of Portland's X-Ray FM 91.1 and 107.1 in the beautiful, lush, green, and often rainy Pacific Northwest. Uh, We are wholly and completely and 100%ly supported by our Patreon supporters. Uh, Please do go to interestingtimespodcast.com, click on the support link, do the thing. Also, go to iTunes. Search for Interesting Times. After you search for it, give this podcast, give it all the stars. Give it five stars. Then write a review about how much you love it. That seriously is helpful. Uh, Ratings and reviews help this podcast iTunes ranking and helps more people discover it. So by going there and giving us a review, you are really, really, really doing us a favor. Please do that. Uh, We're also on Stitcher. I'm on Twitter, at Joe Streckert. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash interesting times with Joe Streckert. Uh, Join us on social media. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, Talk to you next week. Bye. Generals gathered in their masses Just like witches at black masses Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of 
death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Oh, Lord, yeah. 